going, everyone? My name is Jamon McKinney, or you can just call me Juice because that is my nickname. Welcome, everyone, to the Juice Alert, episode number 43, ladies and gentlemen, today. If you have not subscribed to the Juice Alert already, be sure to do that right about now. You will not regret it. You can find me on YouTube as well as podcasting platforms that include Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all that great stuff. Also, if you're listening on a podcasting platform and you enjoy what you hear, be sure to leave me a good rating and review. It definitely helps me out right here. Also, if you're listening on YouTube, or I should say watching on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button right about now. Definitely helps out the channel. You can also follow me on social media. The links to all of my social media accounts are in the description of this episode. A lot of fun things to talk about today. I'm covering roughly about 12 topics today. I will give my official Super Bowl 55 prediction. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs are facing off versus Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who wins that game. We'll discuss that later. Later on in the show, I will also break down Travis Kelsey versus Rob Gronkowski. That'll be a very fun topic that I want to share with you guys. Also, I'll talk about Sam Darnold, Tua Tungavailoa, Cam Newton. All three of those starting quarterbacks very well could be moved on from in the offseason. Will the Jets move on from Sam Darnold? Well, I should say, well, here's the thing. I shouldn't say, will the Jets move on from Sam Darnold? I'm actually going to tell you what I would do if I were the New York Jets. Would I move on from Sam Darnold? i also talk about, you know, would I move on from Cam Newton? Would I move on from Tua? We'll talk about those things. A lot of fun things to talk about. And last but not least, at the end of the show, towards the very, very end, I will give my official 2020 NFL awards and... During that segment, I'm not going to predict what the voters are going to do. I'm going to tell you who I would specifically vote for and why. You know, who deserves, you know, Offensive Rookie of the Year, Defensive Rookie of the Year, Coach of the Year, NFL MVP. I'll give my reasons as to why I believe, you know, a certain coach or a certain player deserves that award uh, that I talk about. So, a lot of stuff to talk about today, bottom line. So, let's jump right into the show right here, man. So, Super Bowl 55 presents a very, very fun matchup between Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. And to me personally, this is the greatest quarterback matchup in Super Bowl history. Obviously, we've gotten great Super Bowls between, you know, Joe Montana and Dan Marino. Brett Favre and John Elway met up in in a Super Bowl in the past. We've also seen Peyton Manning face Drew Brees in the Super Bowl. And look, I'm not trying to, you know, just eliminate, you know, the Travis Kelseys of the world, the Tyree Kills of the world, you know, the Mike Evans of the world, the Chris Godwins of the world, think the Rob Gronkowski's of the world, because it is a team sport. And truly, we're getting Buccaneers versus Chiefs. We're not we're not seeing, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady face off in a throwing contest, even though I do think that would be pretty fun as well. But the bottom line is, it's a quarterback-driven league, and all eyes are going to be on Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady. And I do believe that between just quarterbacks specifically, 
This is the greatest quarterback matchup in Super Bowl history. Some people are saying that this is the equivalent of Michael Jordan versus LeBron James. Listen, I'm not willing to anoint Patrick Mahomes as far as, you know, him being an all-time great already. He hasn't even, you know, played it played five seasons in the NFL yet, so he's still got a long way to go before I anoint him an all-time great, but he's well on his way to being an all-time great, and obviously Tom Brady, most people recognize him as the greatest quarterback of all time, and I think Tom Brady is by, well, I don't even think that, it's pretty much not even up for debate. Tom Brady is the most accomplished quarterback of all time. He's the greatest quarterback of all time. But Patrick Mahomes, to me, he might arguably be the most talented quarterback of all time. When I just watch Patrick Mahomes, I say, man, that guy's got a, got a cannon for an arm. Man, that guy's deadly accurate. Man, this guy can move outside the pocket really well. Man, this guy looks, this guy makes it look easy. So, I think that just from from a perspective of quarterbacks, this is going to be the greatest quarterback matchup in Super Bowl history. And the thing about Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady is they're pretty much polar opposites. Patrick Mahomes, he's pretty much the exception to the rules. Meanwhile, Tom Brady, he's all about the rules. And what do I mean by that? I mean that Patrick Mahomes, he can make all the all-platform throws, doesn't have to have his feet set to deliver a perfect ball, He's the exception to the rule. A lot of a lot of you know quarterback coaches won't try to teach some of the things that Patrick Mahomes does on a football field because he's probably one of the only quarterbacks on planet Earth that can actually accomplish what he does because he's such a gifted thrower of the football that he's an exception to the rules. Meanwhile, Tom Brady. He was a six-round pick. Now, obviously, he should have gone number one overall in that draft based on what we know so far. But the bottom line is Tom Brady is not the most gifted thrower of the football. So he has to be all about being a guy that pays attention to detail. He also he has to be a surgeon in the pocket. He has to be super-duper accurate. He has to play mistake-free football at times. And so I just kind of want to, you know, direct, you know, sort of direct you guys to how these quarterbacks operate and whatnot, I will say both quarterbacks have amazing supporting cast. I do believe these two teams are the best two teams in the NFL remaining. Sometimes we get some upsets where, you know, an Eli Manning-led New York Giants team gets to the Super Bowl where they may have not been the best team in the regular season, may have not been the most talented team, but they were gritty, they were tough, they were they had tenacity, and they got it done when it mattered most. But this is going to be truly a star-studded Super Bowl, and I believe this game is going to be off the charts from an entertainment perspective. And look, I don't think anyone is ever going to catch Tom Brady on the all-time list, especially due to the fact that he just got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to a Super Bowl, okay? We could talk about his success in New England, but... Okay, what happened with what happens when Tom Brady leaves Bill Belichick? What happens when he leaves the Patriots way? Oh, he can transfer that to Tampa Bay? Are you kidding me? I mean, he pretty much won up Joe Montana. Remember when Joe Montana, you know, left the San Francisco 49ers and went to go play for the Kansas City Chiefs and it got them to a conference championship game? Not only did Tom Brady go out there and beat Drew Brees in the playoffs, not only did he go out there 
and get to an NFC Championship game versus Aaron Rodgers, he was able to go into Lambeau Field. Now, granted, he had a really good defense. He's got a stacked roster by his side, but the bottom line is Tom Brady is that general on the field. He went into Lambeau Field, beat an all-time great quarterback in Aaron Rodgers, and he's gotten to a Super Bowl. He, is, he won up to even Joe Montana in that respect. So, look, I don't think anyone is probably ever going to catch Tom Brady. The likelihood of that happening is pretty much slim to none. But if there's one quarterback remaining right now that's playing today that I believe has at least a shot to potentially go down as the greatest quarterback of all time is Patrick Mahomes just because he, to me, is arguably maybe the most gifted thrower of the football of all time. And at some point, I think people are just going to go you know, evaluate quarterbacks and say, okay, we get it, Tom Brady, Joe Montana, they've got the rings, but I'm sorry, guys like Patrick Mahomes just throw a better football than Tom Brady and Joe Montana. And if they have the accomplishments like the MVPs and the Super Bowls to go with it, then you kind of maybe have to give them the benefit of the doubt, you know, because we recognize how, how talented Patrick Mahomes is. So, look, Patrick Mahomes, he's in a great situation with Andy Reid, an amazing organization that's, that takes big swings in free agency, not afraid to take risks. They draft well. And I have a good feeling that Patrick Mahomes is probably going to be appearing in not just this Super Bowl, but probably in a couple more Super Bowls, at least one more Super Bowl. Maybe I'm going too far saying a couple more Super Bowls. I could at least see Patrick Mahomes getting to, at bare minimum, one more Super Bowl. We'll see what happens. A lot of things could occur, you know, injuries, you know, um, the team falling off, you know. The point is, I'm not trying to anoint Mahomes, but look, if Patrick Mahomes can cash in on this opportunity, you know, and 25 years from now, when he's retired, and probably holds a bunch of records, probably has a bunch of MVP trophies, and probably has multiple Super Bowl rings by his side. Depending on how you slice it, if he has that one victory in the Super Bowl versus Tom Brady, we're going to look back a couple of years from now and say, yeah, Tom Brady won all those rings in New England, and he was able to get to a Super Bowl in Tampa Bay. But that Patrick Mahomes dude... He was special, and he knocked off arguably the greatest quarterback of all time in the Super Bowl, and that's gonna be that's gonna be the spot where we might point to Patrick Mahomes and say, okay, you know, we we've seen the careers, but there was that one time where Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes were able to meet up on the same field in the most meaningful game in play in the playoffs. That being the Super Bowl, and Patrick Mahomes bested him. I'm not trying to anoint Patrick Mahomes as his next all-time great. All I'm saying is we've got the old versus the new. Tom Brady, he's the old guy on the block, the greatest quarterback of all time. And Patrick Mahomes, he's the new kid on the block. And he has a chance to potentially challenge Tom Brady if things bounce his way. You know, but we'll see, man. I can't wait for the Super Bowl. And I do believe that Patrick Mahomes versus Tom Brady in Super Bowl 55 is the greatest quarterback matchup in Super Bowl history. I can't wait to see the Buccaneers defense go against the Kansas City Chiefs offense. I can't wait to see what Tom Brady has for the Kansas City Chiefs defense as well. Uh, Andy Reid versus Bruce Arians. We'll see how that fares. We'll see what Tyree Kill does. We'll see what Rob Gronkowski does. There's a lot of stars that players in this game. But yeah, that's how I feel about the quarterbacks. Okay, it is now officially that time of the year. We are down to two final teams remaining 
in the NFL season. Those two teams are the Kansas City Chiefs, the defending Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs, led by Patrick Mahomes, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, led by Tom Brady. Kansas City currently is favored by three and a half points to win Super Bowl 55 over the Kansas City Chiefs. In my opinion, this is the greatest Super Bowl matchup from a quarterback perspective. You know, you look at Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady right now today is regarded as the greatest quarterback of all time, and rightfully so. Meanwhile, Patrick Mahomes, he's arguably maybe the most talented quarterback of all time, definitely in that conversation. And I can argue that if he gets a couple more Super Bowl rings and he continues to pile up the numbers that he's piling up, he has a chance to overtake Tom Brady as the greatest quarterback of all time. Okay, so you got the old gun Tom Brady, who's 43 years old, versus the new gun Patrick Mahomes, who to me is the face of the NFL as we speak today. He's going to dominate for the next 10 to 15 years, okay? I picked these two teams to make the Super Bowl in the preseason. It is not a surprise that these two teams are meeting up. And I'm going to pick the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to beat the Kansas City Chiefs in Super Bowl 55. I believe this game is going to come down to which team can protect their quarterback the best because these two teams are so evenly matched. We've got star wide receivers. We've got really good star players on both defenses, two really good quarterbacks, two capable head coaches. You know, Bruce Arians is probably not quite on Andy Reid's level, but Bruce Arians, he's a pretty, you know, solid head coach. I'd say there's a lot of star players. These two teams are very evenly matched. And I think that when it comes to two teams that are evenly matched, you know, facing off against each other, whichever team wins in the trenches is more than likely the team that is going to win the game, okay? And which team can protect their quarterback the best? I trust Tampa Bay's offensive line versus Kansas City's defensive line more than I trust the Kansas City Chiefs' offensive line versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defensive line. I believe Tom Brady will be protected in this game. Tom Brady is going to be accurate. And Tom Brady will make a couple more plays than Patrick Mahomes in this Super Bowl. And that will be the difference in this game, okay? The Kansas City Chiefs have very few weaknesses on their football team. But the two units on their football team, to me at least, that are not as quite top-notch as you would like them to be are their secondary and their offensive line. And that, in my opinion, favors the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because when Tampa Bay is at their best, they're protecting Tom Brady up front with their really good offensive line, and they get after the opposing quarterback. The best thing Tampa Bay does is they protect Tom Brady and they get after the other quarterback. And I trust them to get after Patrick Mahomes and to at times make Patrick Mahomes be uncomfortable, maybe make a mistake or two. And while Patrick Mahomes is more than capable of overcoming, you know, deficits, overcoming, you know, teams being up double digits on him, overcoming mistakes, he's loose, he's fun, he's joyful. 
And look, I do expect Patrick Mahomes to play pretty fairly well in this game. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers will give up some big plays. They will give up yards. We did see Aaron Rodgers be able to move the football on their defense in the NFC Championship game. Aaron Rodgers, he was running around. He's making plays. But ultimately, they were able to get after Aaron Rodgers. They hit Aaron Rodgers a couple of times. They sacked him. And he didn't have very many clean pockets in the NFC Championship game. I could see Patrick Mahomes throwing for over 300 yards in this game. I could see Patrick Mahomes throwing three or four touchdowns in this game. But in the end, he will probably make a mistake or two in this game that Tom Brady simply will not make when it matters the most. I believe Tom Brady will protect the football. Tampa Bay will give him multiple clean pockets in this game. He'll be efficient. He'll be accurate. And I believe Tom Brady will make a couple more plays in this game that Patrick Mahomes simply does not make. And also, you look at Kansas City secondary. I don't particularly favor Kansas City secondary versus Tampa Bay's wide receiver core. You got Mike Evans, you got Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown. He's back. He's going to be fully healthy. I do expect Antonio Brown to potentially be the X factor in this matchup along with Leonard Fournette. If Tampa Bay cannot run the football and have a balanced attack, they probably aren't going to win this game. So Leonard Fournette you know, he's got to play a big role in this matchup. Tampa Bay will have to be able to run the football. I believe they will be able to run the football. I believe Tom Brady will be, will be able to get the football to his playmakers. They'll make plays for him. They'll expose Kansas City secondary. And getting back to Tampa Bay winning up front, Tampa Bay in the NFL during the regular season, they were six in the NFL in sacks per game. Meanwhile, Kansas City, they were 19th. In sacks per game. And listen, in these big games, in the Super Bowl, you know, in order to beat Tom Brady, you are going to have to get pressure on Tom Brady. There's no other way around it. You can't just sit back and let Tom Brady throw balls in the pocket with the clean pocket, things like that. It's not going to work. I don't think Kansas City will be able to make Tom Brady's life uncomfortable enough. Obviously, Tampa Bay and Kansas City did both meet in the regular season of the 2020. NFL season, they met in the regular season all the way back to week 12, and the Kansas City Chiefs were able to win that game 27-24, to but I believe that Tom Brady and the Buccaneers and their coaching staff, they'll go back, they'll look at that film, they will make the adjustments, they will win Super Bowl 55. We saw the Kansas City Chiefs back in that Week 12 matchup jump out to an early lead. It did not seem like Tampa Bay had much of an answer for Tyreek Hill and their dynamic weapons. In the second half, they made adjustments. They made that game close. I think they're going to carry that success they had in the second half of that Week 12 matchup into the Super Bowl, and that will be the difference in this game. I have Tom Brady winning his seventh Super Bowl ring in this game versus the Kansas City Chiefs in Super Bowl 55. I believe Tom Brady will win Super Bowl MVP, and ultimately, they'll be just a tad bit better than the Kansas City Chiefs in this matchup. Kansas City, they're a great team. they got dynamic players all over their field. I believe Kansas City probably should be favored to win this game because I do believe they are arguably the better team. They had the better quarterback. But ultimately, like I said in, in the preseason, I think that destiny is going to be on Tom Brady's side. It just seems like something, is, something special is brewing in Tampa Bay. Ironically, Tampa Bay is actually going to be at home 
in this game due to the fact that they were able to get to the Super Bowl. And what do you know? The Super Bowl is in Tampa Bay, Florida this year, the home of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, for all those reasons that I mentioned, I believe Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will defeat the defending Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs, led by Patrick Mahomes, in Super Bowl 55. That's my Super Bowl 55 prediction for you guys out there. So I now want to compare Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes kind of for the last time on this episode right here. So Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes, you know, what are the similarities and differences between these guys? What makes Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady such great, amazing quarterbacks? What makes them off the charts, fantastic franchise leaders? They're actually very similar in a lot of facets, and I'll tell you why. Because here's the thing. Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady are not only pretty talented throwers of the football, but their leadership is off the charts. They have great people skills. They're joyful. They're upbeat. They're encouraging. And the one thing we can say about Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady is they galvanize the troops around them. And they're able to rally their team from behind and... Not only are Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady more times than not going to close you out when they have a lead in the fourth quarter, they rarely blow fourth quarter leads, but Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady become become even better quarterbacks at times when they're trailing. We've seen quarterbacks, you know, that are even all-time greats that struggle to come from behind, but Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes, at least in Patrick Mahomes, you know, short stint in his career so far, they've sort of made a living off of being the comeback kids, you know. We could talk about the fact that Patrick Mahomes was down 27 to nothing. Well, I think it was 24 to nothing. 27, 24 to nothing. Some some odd, crazy number to the Houston Texans in his um, playoff run last year where he was down double digits. He fell down 20-plus points, and he was able to storm back and beat Deshaun Watson the Houston Texans. He fell, he fell down double digits to the Tennessee Titans. It did not seem to matter. He came roaring back. In the Super Bowl, he was down double digits, and his defense gave him a shot in the fourth quarter, and Patrick Mahomes did not miss. He was able to elevate under pressure and come back and beat the great San Francisco 49ers defense, who were actually looking like they might be the next dynasty potentially. Now Kansas City might ultimately end up being the next dynasty. We shall see. And the thing about Tom Brady is we've seen the Super Bowls that he's been a part of. We saw what he did to the Atlanta Falcons when he was down, you know, a bunch of points in the Super Bowl to Matt Ryan and the Falcons. The Falcons blew a huge lead in that game, and Tom Brady was able to come back because Tom Brady is a cerebral assassin. He's not a guy that's ever going to lay down. He's the ultimate competitor. And when it comes to facing Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady, you can never score enough points against those guys. No lead is safe when you're playing Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs and Tom Brady, whether he's in New England or in Tampa Bay. It don't matter. There's there's never enough points scored versus Tom Brady. You must continue to apply the pressure until that clock hits zero, okay? Because Tom Brady, he's going to make a run and a comeback, no doubt about it. And both these quarterbacks are excellent road quarterbacks. I think quarterbacks at times 
are defined by how well they do in uncomfortable situations, you know, when they face adversity, you know, on the road and things like that. Patrick Mahomes has, has proven to be so good up to this point in his career that he hasn't ever had to play a road playoff game yet, but we saw him get tested in the Super Bowl, and granted, his defense definitely helped bail him out a little bit, but last year, we saw Patrick Mahomes face adversity and he passed the test at the end of the day. It may have not been an A-plus grade that he passed the test with, but he passed that test pretty well. He's, he's, he's moving on to the next semester. He won that Super Bowl trophy. He deserved that MVP, in my opinion. And the thing about Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes is, in the highest leverage moment, they're at their absolute best. Go look at Patrick Mahomes' playoff numbers, people. They're off the charts. Go look at Tom Brady's moments in Super Bowls. In six Super Bowl victories, Tom Brady has a game-winning drive in all six of them. And I have a good feeling Tom Brady might very well have a seventh game-winning drive up his sleeve versus Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs because I did actually pick the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to win this game, like I said. And I, I kind of mentioned this earlier. The difference between Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes is an exception to the rules. Tom Brady is not. Tom Brady is all about the rules, okay? He has to be precise. He has to be a guy that studies a lot of film and pays super attention to detail, okay? You know, when Tom Brady's outside the pocket and out of structure at times, things can get ugly. But the thing that you the thing that you admire the most about Tom Brady is his work ethic, is his attention to detail, and how precise he constantly is, how he makes the game-winning play time after time after time, how he steals yards underneath every single time. If you give Tom Brady an easy completion, that guy is not going to be greedy. He's going to take the check down. He's going to methodically drive down the field, and he'll take his calculated shots down the field and throw for them touchdowns as well when need be, okay? Tom Brady is the ultimate calculated assassin, especially in the clutch. And Patrick Mahomes, you can literally play the perfect defense versus that guy and still get shredded to pieces because more times than not, eight or nine times out of ten, a perfect throw beats really good coverage. And that's just what I see time and time again from Patrick Mahomes. Sometimes it doesn't matter what defense you're in. You know, you could have you know, Patrick Mahomes fooled at that line of scrimmage, but he'll just run around, backpedal, maybe throw a sidearm pass, you know. Mahomes just seems like the guy that will, no matter what you do, he'll find the answer to the test, and he'll do it pretty quickly. The way Patrick Mahomes goes through his progressions and just gets to his answer so quickly is really what's impressive to me just because, you know, you'll have that guy dead in the water. He'll just find a way to make plays with that rocket arm that he has. He's an intelligent kid, and he has a great feel for the game. I think that a lot of people missed that when he was at Texas Tech, his overall feel for the game. And last but not least, Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes were both doubted in college. The things that people were saying about Patrick Mahomes when he was coming out of Texas Tech was he had horrible footwork, his mechanics were awful, he made poor decisions, he was probably never going to consistently be an accurate distributor of the football. That was some of the things that they were saying about Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech. They were saying he was a Big 12 quarterback that played in a pillow fighting conference, the Big 12, and Tom Brady. People necessarily didn't, you know, knock Tom Brady. They just didn't know who the guy was, and they just 
overlooked, I think, the leadership qualities, the intelligence, the ability to read defenses, the ability to be accurate, you know, the ability to make good decisions, the ability to maneuver the pocket. I think they overlooked those things just because Tom Brady simply had a bad scouting combine. You know, he had a bad combine, and he doesn't always look the part from a physique perspective. But, I mean... You don't have to have a six-pack to play quarterback in the NFL. You know, you just got you got to be an accurate passer. You have to be a gamer, and it's all about the manalytics. You know, there's you can't measure someone's heart with a stopwatch. You can't measure someone's will to win by evaluating them on a bench press. You just can't do these things. You have to look at the manalytics and not the analytics. Football, at the end of the day, is a meat and potato sport. And ultimately, whichever guy is is willing to go through a brick wall to be successful, and whichever guy is going to put in the time and the work and really just show up when it matters most, that's the guy I want on my team. I'm not into the combine, who can run the fastest, who can throw the furthest. Those things matter because Patrick Mahomes, he's in this game because he's super-duper talented. You know, there's a room for the Cam Newtons, the Michael Vicks, even the Aaron Rodgers of the world and things like that. But at the same time, I think that Tom Brady is proving that looking at arm strength, measuring your size, you know, how fast you are, at the end of the day, if you don't have the intangibles, it really doesn't matter. And I'm not saying that, you know, other quarterbacks that have been stronger and faster than Tom Brady don't have don't have great intangibles because Dan Marino, you know, guys like that, they had the intangibles. They just never got the breaks to win a Super Bowl. Winning Super Bowls is all about, you know, how do I say this? Winning a Super Bowl is a team accomplishment, okay? We saw a couple of years ago Nick Foles win a Super Bowl being a backup quarterback, okay? We saw Case Keenum nearly get to a Super Bowl, and he wasn't even the starting quarterback to begin the year, okay? Minnesota had a loaded roster that it didn't matter what quarterback they had. They were going to win games regardless. So that's kind of how I feel about these two quarterbacks. You know, both are down in college. Both are fun, you know, exciting to play for. They have a up they have a certain, you know, upbeat mentality to their game. And I can't wait to see Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady face off in the Super Bowl. It should be great. But that is how Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes to me sort of compare and contrast as far as what type of quarterback they are. And I want to shift to Sam Darnold and the New York Jets. So look, the New York Jets had a miserable 2020 season. They're going to be having the number two overall pick in the 2021 NFL draft. And I believe the New York Jets should use that number two overall pick to draft a quarterback and move off of Sam Darnold. And also, if they don't want to do that, I would seriously consider trading for Deshaun Watson. I'm out on Sam Darnold being a long term, legitimate high-end franchise quarterback. I'm not saying Sam Darnold's a bum. I'm not saying Sam Darnold can't be a star for another team. But if I'm the New York Jets, I'm moving on, okay? Now, there are reports out there that the Jets are not going to move on from Sam Darnold. And look, I will say, I'm I'm understanding of the people that want to give Sam Darnold the benefit of the doubt just because he has been put in such a horrible situation with the New York Jets. And 
I think that if Sam Darnold lands with a good roster and a good coaching staff, he could be a decent starting quarterback and have a decent NFL career. But see, when it comes to quarterbacks, I always like to look at the big picture. And that big picture is Super Bowls. Let me say this. Sam Darnold does not project to being close to Deshaun Watson. So if you can trade for Deshaun Watson, you go do it. You should not be trying to bank on Sam Darnold's development. If you can get a 25-year-old quarterback that's smack dead in the middle of his prime, salary cap be darned, draft picks be darned, go trade for Deshaun Watson. He can make you a Super Bowl contender within the, within the next couple of years if you properly build around him. Not to mention, with the number two overall pick, I have an opportunity to potentially draft Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, or Justin Fields. Three quarterbacks that are bigger, faster, stronger, and have better arms and are better athletes than Sam Darnold. Okay, and the book on Sam Darnold since he's entered the NFL is he has inconsistent accuracy, he makes poor decisions, he takes way too many risks, he's way too reckless at times, he will turn the football over, and while his arm is good, it's not special. And that's what Sam Darnold was at USC. That's one of the biggest reasons why I did not buy everyone saying Sam Darnold was a Camus prospect back when he was at Southern California. I just did not see that. I did not see that. Sam Darnold, to me, why look at his upside? Is he ever going to be as accurate as guys like Aaron Rodgers, Joe Burrow, Tom Brady, or Drew Brees? No. I don't think so. I would be very foolish to bet on that happening. Does Sam Darnold have as strong of an arm as Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Matthew Stafford, Ben Rosberger? No, he doesn't. Is he as athletic as Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray? No, he's not. Does Sam Darnold have the charisma of a Baker Mayfield? No, Sam Darnold is a timid guy that at times is, I think, too, I don't know. I just think that there will be a time where the moment might be too big for Sam Darnold when it matters most. When I see a guy like Baker Mayfield, I see a fearless mentality, and I see a guy that in high leverage moments, and again, Baker Mayfield still has a lot to prove, but... I don't think any moment is going to ever be too big for Baker Mayfield for him to step up and deliver under pressure. That guy is a special quarterback as far as what he brings to the, to the table from an intangible perspective. I just don't see the intangibles that Sam Darnold. I just don't see the intangibles from Sam Darnold that I see in Baker that I more so cater to. Not to mention, folks. I just named you 14 quarterbacks that have something more special than Sam Darnold. I didn't even get to guys like Ryan Tannehill, Dak Prescott, Derek Carr, Carson Wentz, Tua Tungabaloa. He had a solid rookie year. Matt Ryan, Jared Goff, and Jimmy Garoppolo, and Cam Newton. Do you know what those four quarterbacks have in common? They've been to Super Bowls. They're proven winners, okay? In the past, they've proven they can win big. They Some of those guys may have not proved, well, actually all those guys, 
none of those quarterbacks have won a Super Bowl, but they've proven they can get there. They've proven they can go through, you know, the Aaron Rodgers of the world, the Russell Wilsons of the world, you know, to get to a Super Bowl. Jared Goff went on the road and beat Drew Brees in the Superdome. I don't ever see Sam Darnold being a guy that can do that. Folks, I named you 23 quarterbacks just now. I just named you about 23 quarterbacks before I got to the name Sam freaking Darnold. It's time to move on, New York Jets. And look, I understand Sam Darnold's situation has not been ideal. But I think way too many times, talent evaluators and NFL fans just look at the situation a quarterback has been put in, and they ignore everything else. Like, we can't ignore the fact that Sam Darnold makes poor decisions. We can't ignore his inaccurate. We can't ignore his accuracy issues. We can't ignore his poor judgment. We can't ignore his reckless mentality. And when Sam Darnold got hurt last year, at times Joe Flacco looked like he was executing the offense at a much higher level than Sam Darnold. And Sam Darnold is supposed to be the number three overall pick from the 2018 NFL Draft. He's supposed to be this next great quarterback out of USC. And he's not that guy. And I understand that Joe Flacco has a ton of NFL experience, and he can pick up defenses probably much better than Sam Darnold, but Sam Darnold should be out there making plays. And another thing that I failed to mention, Sam Darnold at times is often hurt. He's been injured the past two seasons, hasn't been able to stay fully healthy. So there's a lot of question marks with Sam Darnold. I was not a huge fan of Sam Darnold when he was entering the NFL uh, coming out of USC. I, I felt that he was a good quarterback, but not a transcendent quarterback. Never thought that he would be this great long-term franchise quarterback. And I just don't ever see a situation where Sam Darnold can go out there and win me a Super Bowl. So as a result, I'm moving on. I think the New York Jets are best served if they move on as well. It's time to move on from Sam Darnold. If you're the New York Jets organization, no doubt about it in my opinion. So like I said, I think the New York Jets should move on from Sam Darnold. However, like I said earlier, that doesn't mean that Sam Darnold is a bad quarterback, okay? He's been put in a horrible situation with the New York Jets. Adam Gase was brought in to develop Sam Darnold, and he has done nothing but stunt the growth of Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold has been given a poor roster. And look, like I said, I will move on and draft another quarterback or trade for Deshaun Watson. But like I said, that doesn't mean that Sam Darnold is a backup quarterback. I truly believe Sam Darnold is one of the 32 best quarterbacks in America right now. Meaning, I think that he's an NFL starting quarterback because obviously there's 32 spots for NFL teams and there's only one quarterback that starts each week. So there you go. Go figure. And for what it's worth, Sam Darnold with not a whole lot around him did have an above 500 record a season ago in 2019. Okay, he went 7-6 as a starter last year. And there's a reason why some people were saying Sam Darnold, when he was at USC, might be the best quarterback from his draft class. Now, obviously, those people that made that claim have proven to be wrong, but the bottom line is Sam Darnold has some requisite tools and he has the talent to where he can be a functional starting quarterback for an NFL franchise. And I came up with the NFL team that I believe can fix Sam Darnold and potentially allow him to, to develop into becoming maybe their long-term franchise quarterback if things bounce his way and it continues to improve. That team 
is the Carolina Panthers. I actually, uh, about a month ago when Dwayne Haskins was searching for a new NFL team, I threw out the possibility of the Carolina Panthers going out there and signing Dwayne Haskins because I think that the, I think that Carolina is the type of place that can develop a young quarterback and get the most out of them down the road. I think that this could be a similar situation for Sam Darnold to where he could reboot his career with the Carolina Panthers if they want to take a shot on him. Now, when you look at Carolina, they got Tay Bridgewater and P.J. Walker on their roster currently. And Tay Bridgewater is a good starting quarterback, but he's not a long-term franchise quarterback. And P.J. Walker, I do actually like his physical tools, but he's a coin flip as to whether he's going to be a long-term functional starting quarterback or not, okay? And you got Matt Rule as your head coach. I'm a big Matt Rule fan. You got Joe Brady as the offensive, as the offensive coordinator. We saw what Joe Brady did at LSU, helping develop Joe Burrow into having an amazing season, catapulting him to being the number one overall pick in the 2020 NFL Draft. And the thing about the Carolina Panthers is this. They are not in a situation where they're trying to win big right now. Okay? They can probably develop Sam Darnold. He can maybe sit for a year behind Tay Bridgewater, learn the playbook, and then when his time is called, he'll have Curtis Samuel hopefully to throw to if they can retain him in free agency. He'll have Robbie Anderson to throw the football to. He'll have DJ Moore to throw the football to. DJ Moore is a really good number one wide receiver that's super-duper underrated. He'll have Christian McCaffrey to hand the football to in the backfield. When Christian McCaffrey is healthy, he's one of the five best running backs in all football. Some people think that he's the best running back in all football and I say the Panthers aren't in win now mode for two reasons number one because their roster is not good enough for them to be in win now mode right now and ultimately Matt Rule has a ton of power Matt Rule signed a big fat contract by rookie head coach standards when the Carolina Panthers brought him in and named him their next head coach. They're going to get Matt Rule multiple years to get this thing right. I will, I doubt that Matt Rule is on the hot seat until year number four. If Matt Rule is not winning games and competing for, for a playoff spot by year number four, then he'll probably be on the hot seat. But we're three years away from year number four. We're entering year number two for Matt Rule. So Matt Rule can take his time, establish his culture, and bring in his guys. And not to mention, the Carolina Panthers have the number eight overall pick in the draft. And while you could say, just use that on a quarterback, what if Carolina doesn't like any of the quarterbacks in the draft? You know, what if all the good quarterbacks are gone by that time? They can use that number eight overall pick for a for maybe a wide receiver, maybe a tight end. Kyle Pitts is a guy that's been linked to the Carolina Panthers. They could use it on offensive linemen. They could use it on a defensive player. They can go a lot of directions with that number eight overall pick. And this roster has a lot of holes to fill. So I think that Matt Rule is going to do everything in his power to fill those holes. Last year in the draft, it was clear the Carolina Panthers need to focus on defense. What did Matt Rule do? He spent every single pick on defense in the NFL draft. So Matt Rule is one of those guys that will go out of his way to fix the issues that he knows are at hand. And Sam Darnold is ultimately still only 23 years old. His best football is ahead of him, hopefully. And I think the Carolina Panthers could be a team that maybe could fix Sam Darnold if they were to take a shot on him, okay? Now, 
I don't think the Indianapolis Colts should be out there trying to sign Sam Darnold. I don't think the New Orleans Saints should be a team that looks to sign Sam Darnold because a lot of these teams are trying to win right now. And I don't think Sam Darnold is a quarterback that gives you a chance to win right now. So that's how I feel about Sam Darnold. I'm not the biggest Sam Darnold fan, but I do think that the Carolina Panthers would be a great fit for Sam Darnold. And they ultimately could help Sam Darnold reboot his career if the Jets were to move on from him. I now want to shift to the Miami Dolphins and to a tongue of my lower. I believe the Miami Dolphins need to move on from Tua Tungabailoa. And look, I know this statement is probably going to annoy and tick off Miami Dolphins fans, but listen, I'm not here to please anyone. I'm just here to give you my opinion and tell you why I believe your football team specifically should move on from Tua Tungabailoa. The reason why I'm out on Tua is because Tua, to me, just does not pass the eye test. And I believe Tua Tungabailoa has a very limited upside. That doesn't mean Tua can't win you games. That doesn't mean Tua is not a starting quarterback. Tua is a starting quarterback. He's one of the, you know, quarterbacks in the NFL that should be a starter, okay? Right now, at least. But, like I said earlier, with Sam Darnold, when I'm evaluating quarterbacks, I think about the big picture. And I don't think Tua is capable of winning me a Super Bowl, if I were to project. I think Tua is a Jimmy Garoppolo-type quarterback. I've said in the past, I think Tua is a game-managing quarterback with an average arm, has very limited upside. And here's the thing about Tua. Tua was the fourth-best quarterback from his draft class this past year, at least based on what we know so far. If you were to rank the quarterbacks in the 2020 NFL draft class, you go Justin Herbert, you go Joe Burrow, you go Jalen Hurts, then you would go Tua. Justin Herbert by far and away outperformed Tua. Same thing with Joe Burrow. And Jalen Hurts proved to be a more dynamic passer and a more dynamic runner of the football despite being on a very bad Philadelphia Eagles team this past season. Tua Tungavailoa landed with the best team out of the four and into the best situation out of the four, and he was the worst out of the four. Now, that doesn't mean Tua is a bad player and that Tua had a terrible rookie year. Tua actually had a pretty solid rookie year. He he looked like a rookie out there. You know, he had, his, he had his ups, he had his downs, nothing special. But the thing about Tua is this. His unwillingness to take shots down the field and to take risks really hurt the Miami Dolphins offense. And Tua and his inability to make big plays down the field with his arm, or at least maybe his unwillingness to do so, it really hurt the Miami Dolphins offense. And when Ryan Fitzpatrick was the quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, that offense was a much different offense than what Tua was running out there. It pretty much seemed like the Miami Dolphins were scaling Tua back. They were trying to be safe with Tua. And they didn't trust Tua Tungabaloa to take on that full playbook. Meanwhile, they gave Ryan Fitzpatrick everything out there for him to run. And Tua was way too safe with the football times. He was a guy that seemed very... Very scared to take risk at times. He was trying to just not make mistakes. And I like that quality from Tua, but at the same time, I hate that quality from Tua. You want to know why? 
because you can't win big in the NFL being safe. Aaron Rodgers, he takes shots down the field. Patrick Mahomes, he's a gunslinger. Tom Brady, he'll throw the football down the field. He'll dink and dunk you to death. But when there are shots down the field that are, that are there to take, Tom Brady is going to take those shots nine times out of ten. The greatest quarterbacks out there and the franchise quarterbacks that are winning Super Bowls, they take risks. They push the football down the field. They make big plays. And Tua, there's just nothing dynamic about him. And I just don't think Tua has it within his DNA to be a guy that is a that is willing to take a bunch of risks. And in order to accomplish big things in the NFL, you have to take your shots down the field and you have to be willing to be uncomfortable. Okay, and I don't think Tua is comfortable taking those shots down the field. I just don't. I, I think that he's way too safe as a quarterback. And like I said earlier with Sam Darnold, I don't think Tua is ever going to be as accurate as Aaron Rodgers or Joe Burrow or Drew Brees or Tom Brady. He does have the arm strength of Justin Herbert or Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or Matthew Stafford or Ben Rosberger. He's not the athlete of a Deshaun Watson or Lamar Jackson or Russell Wilson or Kyler Murray. You know, he doesn't have, seem to have the charisma of Baker Mayfield. And you look at guys like Carson Wentz, even though he played horribly this past year, Carson Wentz has much more upside than Tua Tagovailoa. You look at Derek Carr. Derek Carr, to me, had a better season than what um, Tua had. You look at Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott's a better quarterback than Tua Tagovailoa. You look at Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill is a super-duper underrated quarterback. And Matt Ryan, Jared Goff, and Jimmy G, and Cam Newton, all four of them have been to Super Bowls. I don't think... Tua is ever going to be a guy that is capable of leading you to a Super Bowl. Tua is a game-managing quarterback to the point where he's not going to win you big games. He may not lose you games, but he's never going to win you the big games, okay? And I felt Tua was super-duper overrated when he was coming out of Alabama. Everyone was saying, you can't miss with Tua. He's a generational talent. And I said, no, no, no. Tua was a product of the great weapons around him at Alabama. He was a product of a really good offensive line, great coaching, star wide receivers. And ultimately, here's the thing, people. The Miami Dolphins have the number three overall pick. And they also have the assets to trade for Deshaun Watson. They need to trade for Deshaun Watson or either draft Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, or Trey Lance. That's what they need to do because all three of those quarterbacks have much more upside than Tua Tungabaloa. And I don't think Tua is ever going to be a guy that has a ton of upside. I don't think Tua is ever going to be a guy that wins big in the playoffs because he's a physically limited quarterback, and he does not, to me, play a brand of football to where he's able to take those risks down the field and things of that nature. He just seems like he's way too safe with the football, and I'm not willing to bet on Tua for another year. I'm sorry. I understand Dolphins fans want to draft Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith, things like that, but I'm just not one of those guys. I want to move on from Tua because the Miami Dolphins may never be in this position again to where they can get a Deshaun Watson, to where they can get a transcendent talent at number three overall in the draft. I just don't see the upside with Tua. I never really saw the upside when he was at Alabama, and ultimately, I think the Miami Dolphins must move on from Tua Tagovailoa if they're smart. So, I now want to compare Rob Gronkowski to Travis Kelsey. A lot of people are talking about Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes in Super Bowl 55. 
and rightfully so, but I don't think enough people are talking about the two tight ends in this matchup on both sides. You know, you got Rob Gronkowski on the side of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and you got Travis Kelsey on the side of the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, in this game, I don't expect Rob Gronkowski to be a big focal point in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game plan just because he's not been a guy in that offense this year that's been featured really at any point. He's just been a veteran tight end that's reliable, that's good on third down at times, that's a really good blocker, and he's really a guy that Tampa Bay brought in for his leadership qualities. Meanwhile, Travis Kelsey, I expect him to be heavily involved in the Kansas City Chiefs game plan just because he's a big part of their offense and he's in the prime of his career. Rob Gronkowski, he's past his prime. Now, when it's all said and done, when Travis Kelsey and Rob Gronkowski hang up the cleats and they're no longer playing football, I think that there might be an argument for both of them by the time both of their careers are over. There might be an argument for both those guys being the two greatest tight ends of all time. When you look at the Antonio Gates of the world, the Mike Dickens of the world, the Shannon Sharps of the world, the Tony Gonzalez of the world, I think by the time Rob Gronkowski and Travis Kelsey have retired, they'll be somewhere in that conversation. Now, I want to kind of discuss Rob Gronkowski's sort of quote-unquote legacy as a tight end, tight end in the NFL. To me, Rob Gronkowski is the first battle Hall of Famer. Now, when I actually went back and looked at the statistics for Rob Gronkowski, I was actually not all that impressed. In 10 seasons in the NFL, Rob Gronkowski has only had a 1,000-yard season four times in it, during his 10-year career so far. Now, here's the thing about me. I'm one of those people that doesn't just rely on stats to evaluate players because when I saw those numbers, I was actually shocked because here's the thing. If you actually watched Rob Gronkowski when he was in his prime, when that guy was fully healthy on the field, he was a dominant force. And the stats do not tell the full story. We're talking about a six foot six, 270-pound grown man that was hard to bring down, super hard to tackle. He was not the greatest route runner. He he was not the fastest player out there, but he would just bully people and out physical guys, and he would make his presence known on the football field. He was great in the red zone, and he actually had really good hands as well. You know, he, he rarely dropped passes. Now, he also had a lot of great catches in the playoffs via Tom Brady. Tom Brady was throwing him the football, no doubt about it. And the thing about Rob Gronkowski is I think that his career is sort of not remembered probably the way it should be because of his injuries. Obviously, if you're not playing on the field every, every you know, um, opportunity you can, then your numbers are going to, you know, obviously take a hit because if you're missing games, you obviously can't put up statistics. And that's one of the reasons why I think Rob Gronkowski's numbers aren't as good as some people want, as some people, you know, might think because, well, he was often banged up. And that's part of the reason, part of the reason why Rob Gronkowski was always banged up is because of the way he played. He was a super physical guy. He would take a lot of punishment. And at times he would have to miss games due to injury because he was such a physical player. 
So that's Rob Gronkowski to me. Rob Gronkowski is one of the best tight ends of all time. Maybe arguably the greatest tight end of all time as far as what he brought to the table at his absolute best. Now, when you look at Travis Kelsey, Travis Kelsey to me is not quite in the conversation with the Rob Gronkowskis, with the Mike Dickas, with the Antonio Gates, with the Tony Gonzalez of the world quite yet just because I think he's just starting to scratch the surface. Travis Kelsey really started to burst onto the scene back in 2017. And ever since 2017, every single season, he's had a thousand, he's had, he's gone over a thousand yards. And Travis Kelsey has really good hands and he's really quick and subtle with his movement. And he's an excellent route runner. And he's more graceful in the way he plays the game of football, meaning He'll take those business decisions and run out of bounds if need be. He's not one of those guys that's always looking for contact. And he doesn't play a physical brand of football. Travis Kelsey's more of your finesse tight end. He more so compares to a guy like a, like Tony Gonzalez. Tony Gonzalez is obviously a little bit faster and better in his prime than Travis Kelsey. But I think that you're going to start to see Travis Kelsey pile up really, really good numbers throughout his career. And when we look back at Travis Kelsey's career compared to Rob Gronkowski, he's going to blow Rob Gronkowski away in the statistics because Rob Gronkowski has 8,484 yards during his 10-year career as far as ways of college in the regular season. Meanwhile, Travis Kelsey in eight seasons has 7,900 yards receiving. Okay, so Travis Kelsey's already starting to put up Rob Gronkowski type numbers because he's been able to stay healthy much more often and I think the way Travis Kelsey plays will allow him to put up better numbers than Rob Gronkowski because Travis Kelsey isn't as physical as Gronk and he'll be able to stay on the field a lot more often because he takes those business decisions you know and it does help that Travis Kelsey is playing the Kansas City Chiefs offense he's he's being thrown the football what how do I say this? Patrick Mahomes is throwing him the football. And Tyree Kill is also a super dynamic weapon in the Chiefs offense. So people pay attention to Tyree Kill at times. That frees up Travis Kelsey. So that's kind of how I feel about Rob Gronkowski and Travis Kelsey. They're two polar opposites at the tight end position. But ultimately, I could see Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill. What am I saying here? I could see... Rob Gronkowski and Travis Kelsey going down as arguably two of the greatest tight ends of all time when it's all said and done, no doubt about it. And another thing to think about is this. Rob Gronkowski and Travis Kelsey were doubted back in college. Okay? Travis Kelsey was a third-round pick out of Cincinnati, and Rob Gronkowski was a second-round pick out of Arizona. Both guys were overlooked in college, and now they're destroying opponents and defenders in the NFL. Travis Kelsey and, and Rob Gronkowski are definitely a joy to watch. I can't wait to see what they bring to the table in Super Bowl 55. Buccaneers versus Chiefs should be a good one, and I'm definitely going to be keeping my eyes on not only Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady, but also Travis Kelsey and Rob Gronkowski. They're two of the best tight ends I've ever seen play the game of football, no doubt about it. I now want to shift to this next topic right here. Let's talk about Cam Newton, who was let go by the Carolina Panthers last year and 
Many people did not expect Cam Newton to land with the Patriots. He was a late free agent signing this past offseason. And the New England Patriots had a very, very disappointing season. They went 7-9 on the year. They missed the playoffs. Everyone, you know, points out that under a microscope because Tom Brady left New England. And now Tom Brady is playing in his 10th Super Bowl without Bill Belichick. Meanwhile, Bill Belichick without Tom Brady missed the playoffs for the first time in forever. Now, a lot of Patriots fans, I think, are being a little too unfair to Cam Newton. A lot of Patriots fans are saying that the Patriots should just get rid of Cam Newton and let him go and just live to find another quarterback. Now, the Patriots do have the 15th overall pick, so I could see a situation where they maybe trade up for a quarterback or maybe a guy like Mac Jones out of Alabama fall to them. I'm not the biggest Mac Jones fan, but I think that he could become a functional starting quarterback one day. We'll see, though. Um... Anytime you're being coached by Bill Belichick, you have a chance to be great. But we'll see what we'll see what he does in the, in the New England offense. That's not the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is okay. Here's the thing: I would not move on from Cam Newton if I'm the New England Patriots, and I'll tell you why. The reason why I say that is because even if you move on from Cam Newton, in my opinion, at least, no matter who the quarterback is in New England, with the current supporting cast that the Patriots have on offense, especially at the wide receiver and tight end position, the quarterback that they bring in is not going to have a ton of success. It's just not going to happen. Now, if you somehow, someway can land Aaron Rodgers, maybe Deshaun Watson, if Russell Wilson magically ends up with the Patriots, or somehow, someway you could have gotten your hands on Patrick Holmes, you know, a top five to top seven quarterback, if you could if you could acquire one of those guys, then yeah, I could see the Patriots, you know, saying, go goodbye, Cam Newton. We need to go get a top five to top seven quarterback. So in essence, if the Patriots couldn't go out there and get Deshaun Watson, go get Deshaun Watson, Bill Belichick. But I don't think Bill Belichick is willing to take on that big time contract. Bill Belichick always, you know, likes to kind of, you know, pay for his guys on the cheap. He will overpay for a Darrell Revis or Randy Moss or Rob Gronkowski, or maybe if Tom Brady, you know, wanted to, you know, maybe not take a discount, I'm pretty sure he would spend extra money to keep Tom Brady in New England in his prime. But here's the thing. Um, say you bring in a rookie quarterback to the Patriots offense next year, like let's just say Justin Fields or Mac Jones. Are you sure in that complex system they're going to pick things up right away? Not to mention... They have one of the worst wide receiver and tight end cores at their disposal. I'm sorry, people, but anytime the New England Patriots' best wide receiver is Demir Bird or Julian Edelman, I'm sorry. I can't fear the New England Patriots' wide receiver core, and I actually like Julian Edelman. And Julian Edelman, a long time ago, uh, I'd say roughly about three or four years ago, he could have been a potential number one option on some NFL teams. But now... If I look at Julian Elman and I look at this version of himself, a guy that's declining and getting older as I speak today, Julian Elman should not be your number one option at wide receiver. You know, Demir Bird, Nikhil Harry, they have potential, but these guys are not dynamic players. Demir Bird actually had a pretty good year, but when you're throw when you're Cam Newton and you're throwing to Jacoby Myers 
and Nikhil Harry, who has talent, but to this point, he's been a first-round bust. Well, maybe not bust, but a first-round disappointment. The bottom line is the Patriots wide receiver core and their tight end core scares nobody. The Patriots drafted two tight ends in the 2020 NFL draft. Both of them so far are trending towards being bust. And keep in mind, this past year, Cam Newton had no preseason games, a weird offseason. He was in his first year in a whole new system with no dynamic weapons. He had no chance, okay? So the point I'm trying to make is, until you fix the supporting cast around Cam Newton or the quarterback you're going to acquire, then you don't need to be thinking about moving on from, from Cam Newton. Because no matter what quarterback you plug in, that quarterback is going to struggle. And people are going to point to Cam Newton's numbers and say, oh, Cam Newton was awful this past year. He threw eight touchdowns to ten interceptions. But they also failed to realize that Cam Newton had 12 rushing touchdowns this past year. People, rushing touchdowns count as well. So don't just look at box scores. Actually go back and watch some Patriots games. And you tell me if the Patriots offense is an explosive offense. You tell me if those wide receivers scare you. You tell me where the Patriots are super dynamic on offense. You tell me if the Patriots can match up with Kansas City, Buffalo, even Miami. Miami, to me, is a much better football team today than New England. I don't see it. So that's how I feel about the Patriots. I don't think they should move on from Cam Newton because if you bring in a rookie quarterback, that quarterback is going to be lost with a whole new system with no weapons to throw to. And I don't see very many other quarterbacks on the market that are worth going after other than maybe Deshaun Watson. And I don't think Bill Belichick is super interested in Deshaun Watson. I just don't see Deshaun Watson being his type of quarterback, at least based on the money he's making right now. I think Deshaun Watson would be a good fit, but I just don't see Belichick making that move. So that's why that's why I'm saying if I'm the New England Patriots, I would keep Cam Newton for at least another year. I, in the offseason, prioritize getting Cam Newton the best wide receiver and tight end core for him to be successful. Because when we saw we saw Cam Newton several years ago, when he had a great team around him, he was able to go to a Super Bowl. Now, he's way past his prime. He's not the same athlete he once was. Doesn't quite have the same arm strength. But I do believe Cam Newton could be a functional starting quarterback that could lead you to the playoffs if given the right support. And I think New England should do Cam Newton a favor and bring him back and support him with good weapons. By the way, Bill Belichick has spoke very highly of Cam Newton. Okay? A lot of people say Cam Newton's a diva. He's all about himself. According to Bill Belichick, that's not the case. So, for all those reasons, I keep Cam Newton in New England for at least one more year before I think about moving on and trying to acquire another quarterback. So, a lot of things have come out recently about the Houston Texans organization. Former players have come out and bashed the organization and have spoken out and have actually supported Deshaun Watson, requesting a trade from the Texans. Deshaun Watson, he no longer wants to be a part of that organization. He wants out. And right now, today, I can make the argument the Houston Texans are the most poorly run NFL franchise outside of maybe the Detroit Lions. You know, teams like... Washington, Cincinnati, Jacksonville, and the New York Jets have had their dysfunction over the past couple of years. But all four of those teams, to me, are either no longer dysfunctional or at least trending upwards, okay? The Texans, 
they're on a downward spiral, and that spiral is going down really, really quickly, okay? And I truly feel bad for the players in that Houston Texans locker room because I would hate to play for the Houston Texans organization if I were an NFL player right now. Well, I'll phrase it this way. I wouldn't hate it because I'd be in the NFL. It's it's a blessing if you're an NFL player, no doubt about it, no matter what team you're on. But I would think to myself, man, those players are being done a disservice because they play for not a stable organization. So I feel bad for all the players in that locker room that have to deal with the dysfunction and the bad coaching that goes on in Houston, the lack of a great culture, and things of that nature, you know. But I also feel especially bad for two players, Deshaun Watson and J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt has had a 10-year career in Houston. He's giving nothing but blood, sweat, and tears to that organization. He's an all-time great defender. He's a three-time Defensive Player of the Year award winner. One of the best defensive players of all time. He's an excellent Hall of Fame level player. And Deshaun Watson, he's a top five quarterback in the NFL as I speak today. And he's done nothing but absolutely carry that franchise on his back ever since being drafted by Houston, number 12 overall, when Houston traded, traded up to go get him in the 2017 NFL draft. And Deshaun Watson and J.J. Watt, to me, deserve to be playing big games they deserve to be on primetime TV every Sunday, and they deserve to be competing for Super Bowls. And that's not going to be the case if they're in Houston. And what it comes down to, people, is this. The Houston Texans are wasting away J.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson's talents. Deshaun Watson has Hall of Fame-level talent, and they're wasting it away. And I don't blame Deshaun Watson for wanting out of that organization based on the way they treated him and based on what they've allowed to go on over the past couple of years in Houston. And if I'm J.J. Watt, I want out of Houston. Send me to the Buffalo Bills. Send me to the Seattle Seahawks. Send me to the Green Bay Packers. Send me to a team that needs a good defensive lineman to where I can go compete for a Super Bowl. That's what I would say to the Houston Texans organization if I'm J.J. Watt. I would want out if I'm J.J. Watt. Why would I want to go play for this organization that continues to waste away my talent? And I hate it when all-time talented players get wasted away by poorly run organizations and I feel bad for Deshaun Watson and J.J. Watt. I hope Deshaun Watson lands with a team like the 49ers or the Colts or the Miami Dolphins. I hope J.J. Watt finds his way out of Houston because as far as I'm concerned, the Houston Texans have wasted J.J. Watt's prime and they're in the process of wasting away some of, some of Deshaun Watson's best years if he can't get out of Houston. And it's a darn shame, no doubt about it. So now I want to circle around and talk about Garner Minshew. Obviously, the Super Bowl is coming up pretty, pretty soon in the next couple of days. But what does that mean? That means once the Super Bowl is over, we officially have a whole NFL offseason to talk about football. So I figured, why not get a head start by talking about Sam Darnold, talking about Tua, talking about Cam Newton, now, today, I want to talk about Gardner Minshew. Now, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the team that Gardner Minshew plays for currently, they have the number one overall pick in the draft. And they need to take 
Trevor Lawrence, or another star-studded quarterback like Justin Fields. Ideally, probably Trevor Lawrence is the pick that you would go with just because I think that it's a more safer pick. Trevor Lawrence, to me, is more NFL-ready to take over a franchise, more so than Justin Fields or Trey Lance, despite Justin Fields and Trey Lance's talent. And a lot of people are saying, you know, Trevor Lawrence might be the next Canvas prospect. I understand the Trevor Lawrence hype, but yeah, you got to take a quarterback with a number one overall pick if you're Jacksonville. Look, Gardner Minshew, to me, is a capable franchise quarterback, and I will get to the reasons why I believe that in a, in a second or two, but anytime you can take a generational talent with a number one overall pick, and I do believe that all three quarterbacks between Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance, all three to all th- all three of those quarterbacks to me has special traits to where I can say they're potential generational talents, then you need to take them, okay? But here's the thing. Gardner Minshew, to me, I feel bad for the guy because he ultimately was screwed. I mean, the Jacksonville Jaguars did nothing to try to build around Gardner Minshew despite him showing showing flashes of being a legitimate franchise quarterback. They even sat Gardner Minshew out late in the season when he was healthy to play, and they were starting Mike Glennon in games. The Jaguars were doing absolutely everything in their power to tank and try to get that number one overall pick. They have they they did not support Gardner Minshew with a good offensive line. The defense has stunk for the past two years, and Minshew has a couple of weapons, but overall they're not great. And you would think the Jacksonville Jaguars, once they saw Gardner Minshew's potential last year as a rookie, you would think they would go all out their way to really try to invest in a six-round pick out of Washington State simply because if you find a six-round pick that's a legitimate franchise quarterback, you have an opportunity to put a whole lot of stuff around him because he is dirt cheap, okay? He is cheaper than a lot of first-year rookie franchise quarterbacks because he's not making first-round quarterback money. So I'm disappointed the way things turned out for Gardner Minshew the Jaguars make the Jaguars drafting another quarterback is the right move, just because Minshew has physical limitations. But I want to put things in context and talk about Gardner Minshew because as a rookie, Gardner Minshew went six and six as a starter and had twenty one touchdowns to only six interceptions as a rookie. And keep in mind, he plays for the Jacksonville Jaguars, a, host, a historically dysfunctional franchise. And he did not have a lot of talent around him. A lot of people thought that Nick Foles was going to be the Jacksonville Jaguars starting quarterback that season. They paid Nick Foles a ton of money. They brought him in. They thought he was going to be the guy. But Gardner Minshew ultimately outworked Nick Foles, and he outplayed Nick Foles. And and this past year, Gardner Minshew only went 1-7 as a starter. The Jaguars only won one game. That was on Gardner Minshew's watch. But... I don't really care about the record. You know, Deshaun Watson, he had a terrible record this past year as far as his win-loss record. We know what Deshaun Watson brings to the table. Matthew Stafford has a losing record for his career, but most people that follow Matthew Stafford knows what he brings to the table. And what did Gardner Minshew bring to the table this past year? 66% completion percentage, 16 touchdowns, 5 interceptions, and 96 pass rating. And keep in mind, people, he plays for the Jaguars, a horrible team that could only win one game this past year. And 
I don't know how many how many people actually sat down to watch Gardner Minshew play this past year, but he made some really good throws, and he once again showed he has the tools to become a franchise quarterback. If you go back and watch the Indianapolis Colts game from week number one, where Gardner Minshew went 19 for 20 and threw three touchdown passes versus one of the best defenses in all of football, that being the Indianapolis Colts defense, go back and watch that game. Gardner Minshew was spectacular in that matchup. And why do I say Gardner Minshew could be a franchise quarterback one day? I believe Gardner Minshew is accurate. He anticipates very well. He throws people open. He makes good decisions. And he will actually take shots down the field. He'll take some chances. He's not afraid to push the ball down the field. And he's a decent athlete as well. And by the way, getting back to taking shots down the field, Gardner Minshew is doing the things that I wished Tua Tungavailoa would do at times. Actually take risks, okay? Actually try to throw the ball down the field. There's an unwillingness from Tua to throw the ball consistently down the field, and that's not the case with Gardner Minshew. He, he's not the guy that you want throwing the football down the field consistently, that guy being Gardner Minshew, because he does have a limited arm, but Gardner Minshew will take his shots down the field to at least keep the defense honest, okay? And I also love the fact that Gardner Minshew, when you watch him on the sidelines, and when you see him interacting with his teammates, you can tell that guy galvanizes the troops around him. He's a fiery guy. He brings great energy. And even last year on the sideline versus the Denver Broncos, they, they put the camera on Gardner Minshew. He was firing his teammates up and saying, hey, let's go. Let's win this game. And he actually allowed the Jacksonville Jaguars to have a comeback victory last year versus the Denver Broncos because he rallied the troops around him, okay? And... If I'm a team like Washington, Chicago, the Indianapolis Colts, I'm looking to maybe take a flyer on Gardner Minshew and maybe trade like a fourth or a fifth round pick for him because he potentially could be a guy that starts for my team next year and I can win some games with Gardner Minshew. If you put a good offensive line, a good wide receiver core, and a good run game around Gardner Minshew, he can win you a lot of football games. In fact, remember Blake Bortles, people? Blake Bortles a couple of years ago, he was actually in the AFC Championship game. But he was the weak link of the Jacksonville Jaguars that year. The Jaguars had a great defense. They had a decent offensive line. They had Leonard Fournette running the football. They had Allen Robinson at wide receiver, even though I do think that he got hurt that year. But they had a really good team. That's, that's the point I'm trying to make. And the Jaguars were being held back by their quarterback. If you put Gardner Minshew... On that Jaguars team back in twenty six, back in I believe twenty sixteen, in the NFC championship, well AFC championship. If you put Gardner Minshew on that championship team versus the Patriots, I think the Jaguars have a good chance to beat Tom Brady and the Patriots on that given Sunday. That was back in the 2016-2017 season. Uh, yeah, that was when the Jaguars got all the way to the AFC Championship game. They lost to Tom Brady. They blew a 10-point lead. And a big reason why they blew that lead was because they were not good enough at quarterback. If you put Gardner Minshew on that roster, he could have won that game. If you put Gardner Minshew on the 49ers last year, he could do just as good as Jimmy G did. Okay, when Jimmy G went to a Super Bowl with the 49ers, Gardner Minshew is not that far off from Jimmy Garoppolo. So, what I'm trying to say, people, is just because Gardner Minshew is not going get, to get a fair shake in Jacksonville, that doesn't mean that he can't become a legitimate franchise quarterback one day. Maybe I shouldn't say legitimate, but 
He could be a solid starting quarterback and potentially a franchise quarterback if you put a good team around Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew is an accurate enough passer. He makes good he makes good enough decisions. He reads defenses well enough to where I can say he meets the threshold to be a functional starting quarterback, and he could be the franchise quarterback for an NFL team if given the right situation and the right coaching and the right opportunity to lead an NFL franchise. Gardner Mitchell has been screwed over in Jacksonville. I feel bad for him. I understand what the Jacksonville Jaguars are doing. It's hard to pass on a guy like Trevor Lawrence, but ultimately, I like what I see from Gardner Mitchell. I think Gardner Mitchell is a capable franchise quarterback, and I'm interested to see if a team takes a flyer on him, potentially in the offseason, once the Jaguars, you know, draft their quarterback of the future and move on from Minshew, which is probably likely what's going to happen. But yeah, we'll see. I'm a fan of Gardner Minshew, and I, re- I, wish for th- I wish the best for him. So Sean Payton recently came out on NFL Network, on the Good Morning Football Show, you know, on NFL Network, um, where they where Peter Schrager and I believe Nate Berlinson and a couple of and a couple of other NFL analysts on the NFL Network talked some football in the morning. And Sean Payton, the New Orleans Saints head coach, came on the show for an interview recently, and I listened to the whole interview, and he talked about Jameis Winston, how he, and how he himself, he himself being Sean Payton, motivates players. And he also talked about Patrick Mahomes. He was asked about, you know, Patrick Mahomes because there were reports actually back when Patrick Mahomes was at Texas Tech and entering the 2017 NFL Draft. There were reports that the New Orleans Saints were highly interested in Patrick Mahomes. And when Peter Schrager asked Sean Payton about Patrick Mahomes, Sean Payton pretty much had nothing but glowing reviews about Patrick Mahomes. And he said that if they had an opportunity to take Patrick Mahomes in the 2017 draft, they would have done it. Because he said that when he went to Texas Tech's Pro Day and when he turned on the film and scouted Patrick Mahomes during his days at Texas Tech when he was actually on campus at Texas Tech's Pro Day and he actually got to see Patrick Mahomes live in person, he said that that was the best college quarterback prospect he'd ever seen. And he was in love with him, and he wanted him on the New Orleans Saints the very next season. And it's ironic because he talked about how Marshawn Lattimore and Patrick Mahomes were pretty much 1A and 1B at that number 11 spot in the 2017 NFL Draft. Now, obviously, the Kansas City Chiefs traded up one spot ahead of Sean Payton and the New Orleans Saints to take Patrick Mahomes and Based on the way Sean Payton was talking about how Andy Reid traded up to snag Patrick Mahomes, they missed out on getting Patrick Mahomes, you could clearly tell that Sean Payton, to this day, still regrets the fact that he could not get his hands on Patrick Mahomes. Look, Drew Brees is an all-time great quarterback, and I'm pretty sure that Sean Payton has the utmost respect for him. But if you put a lie detector to Sean Payton right now, and you could ask him, Choose between Drew Brees or Patrick Mahomes to start your franchise with tomorrow. I think that Sean Payton is going to take Patrick Mahomes. Because if he was thinking about taking Patrick Mahomes back in 2017 when Drew Brees was still playing good football, that should tell you all you need to know. And I really think that there's a life lesson to be learned 
from Sean Payton missing out on Patrick Mahomes in the 2017 NFL Draft because Sean Payton, he didn't try to trade up for Patrick Mahomes. He just sat at number 11 overall and tried to wait for Patrick Mahomes to come to him. And folks, well, I should say fellas, if you have a girl out there that you really that you really like or, or, or are enamored with, go ask for her number. Go ask her out on a date. Same thing with you ladies, you know. If you see a guy that you think is cute with a good smile, go tell him he has a good smile. Go after him. Shoot your shot, okay? Go for that job opportunity out there, people. And NFL general managers, I got news for you. If you believe in a quarterback to the the way Sean Payton believed in Patrick Mahomes, trade up for him. Don't just sit there and hoping, oh, we'll get our guy. No, the minute you hope you get your guy is the minute you miss out on your guy. And I truly think that Sean Payton missing out on Patrick Mahomes ultimately probably cost him an opportunity to win another Super Bowl or, dare I say, even multiple Super Bowls from that point forward. And it would have been interesting to see what would have happened because if Sean Payton drafted Patrick Mahomes in 2017, Drew Brees was 38 years old. And I wonder if that would have pushed Drew Brees out the door in New Orleans. I wonder how long Patrick Mahomes would have sat behind Drew Brees, you know. Because Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City sat for a year behind Alex Smith. Then the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, said goodbye, Alex Smith. They handed the keys to Patrick Mahomes. Boom, Patrick Mahomes takes off the very next year. I think that Sean Payton could have developed Patrick Mahomes in a similar way in which Andy Reid developed Patrick Mahomes. I think that if Patrick Mahomes had those rosters that Drew Brees has had over the past four to five seasons, I think the Saints would have already had a Super Bowl victory because as good as Drew Brees is, I think Drew Brees missed the opportunity these past four years with a really good offensive line, with really good running backs at his disposal, with a star wide receiver, Michael Thomas, at his disposal, with a really good defense, with Sean Payton calling the plays. Drew Brees won a lot of games in the regular season, but he couldn't win the big one. And we all know Drew Brees has won a Super Bowl but due to the fact that Drew Brees had arguably the best team in all of football during a four-year stretch up to this point so far, the fact that he couldn't get a second Super Bowl, that's disappointing. And I really think that if Sean Payton could have found a way to get his hands on Patrick Mahomes, that really could have really sparked maybe the Saints potentially getting talks for being the next dynasty because Patrick Mahomes in that Saints offense, man, he'd be on steroids because... Sean Payton, over the past couple of years, has done a good job of hiding Drew Brees' limitations due to Drew Brees being an older quarterback. That's not quite in his prime anymore. So, I just wanted to share my thoughts on Sean Payton and how he feels, still to this day, sick to his stomach, that he missed out on Patrick Mahomes. And also, I wonder why Sean Payton didn't just draft Deshaun Watson. Look, Deshaun Watson isn't quite as talented as Patrick Mahomes, but when I was evaluating Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes in college, I felt Deshaun Watson was arguably the best quarterback in that draft. Obviously, I'm wrong because Patrick Mahomes turned out to be the, the best quarterback in that draft, but to think at the time when Deshaun Watson was at Clemson and the time when Patrick Mahomes was at Texas Tech, to have the opinion that Deshaun Watson was the best quarterback in that class, 
That was not a horrible take. That was not a hot take. That was actually at the time considered the right take because a lot of people actually thought Deshaun Watson might be the best quarterback in that draft. But ultimately, I think Sean Payton probably didn't have the same grade on Deshaun Watson because if he had a similar grade to Watson as he did Mahomes, he probably would have took Deshaun Watson. But he passed on Deshaun Watson, and I don't know. It's just one of those things where I think Sean Payton could have extended, you know, a potential Super Bowl window if he drafted Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes. I know he loves Drew Brees, but Drew Brees over the past couple of years has declined, you know, really day by day and year by year. And Drew Brees, he's still a good quarterback, but he's not quite what he what he used to be. The Saints don't throw the ball down the field anymore. And there are reports that Drew Brees might be retiring soon. So I don't want to bash Drew Brees too much, but yeah, Drew Brees is a legend. But I'm sorry. If I'm a, if I'm an NFL general manager, I'm taking Patrick Holmes over Drew Brees all day, every day. And by the way, Patrick Holmes has already been to more Super Bowls than Drew Brees, already has more MVP trophies than Drew Brees, and has won the same amount of Super Bowls as Drew Brees. And if he beats Tom Brady in the Super Bowl, then that will add two Super Bowls to his resume. That will actually be more than Drew Brees has ever won. So that's how I feel about that. I just wanted to share my thoughts on Sean Payton in regards to how he felt about Patrick Holmes when Patrick Holmes was coming out of Texas Tech. And by the way, Patrick Mahomes right now today is regarded as the best player in all football. And Sean Payton, he potentially could have had that on his hands. But, sadly, that's not the case. Okay, everyone, it is now time for me to give my official 2020 NFL awards out to coaches and players. Now, a reminder right here, I'm not actually telling you who I think is going to win the award. I'm telling you who I would vote for as far as who's coach of the year, who's MVP, who's the comeback player of the year, etc., etc. Without further ado, let's get started. So, my 2020 coach of the year, the head coach that would get my vote for the 2020 coach of the year is actually Ron Rivera, head coach of the Washington football team. Now, I know for a fact that Ron Rivera is not going to win this award. Most voters are probably going to vote for either Sean McDermott, Brian Flores, or more than likely, Kevin Stefanski, the Cleveland Browns head coach. Now, I'm from Dayton, Ohio, so I get a chance to watch a lot of Browns games, and I am a big believer in Kevin Stefanski, and I will not be super-duper mad if Kevin Stefanski wins NFL Head Coach of the Year for the 2020 season because, ultimately, he's a deserving candidate. But I think that Ron Rivera is a tad bit more of a deserving candidate simply because did anyone expect Washington to make the playoffs? Because I actually picked the Cleveland Browns to make the playoffs this year. I looked at Cleveland and I said, okay, this is a super talented team that has improved their offensive line. They've improved, you know, several areas of their team. They just need Baker Mayfield to produce and they need a head coach. So I saw a, a vision for Cleveland to make the playoffs this year. Now, a lot of you people laughed at me when I told you Washington was the most underrated team in all football, but I had no idea that Washington was going to make the playoffs. I felt they would be an improved team, and they were arguably the most underrated team in all football. I think that I was actually proven right due to Washington making the playoffs, but did anyone expect Washington to win that division this past year? Because I don't think very many experts or NFL analysts or NFL fans and even diehard Washington fans expected their team to make the playoffs. The team was 3-13 in 2019. And they improved tremendously this past year. Ron Rivera had to shuffle around 
Taylor Heineke, Kyle Allen, Dwayne Haskins, and the corpse of Alex Smith, and he somehow did it and helped Washington win the division. Washington was a lost franchise before Ron Rivera got there. And in year number one, with Ron Rivera battling cancer, he turned around that culture, and he created a great infrastructure within Washington's organization. So for that reason, I got to vote for Ron Rivera as far as 2020 head coach of the year. He gets my vote over Kevin Stefanski for the reasons that I mentioned. Okay, up next, who gets my vote for the 2020 NFL MVP? I believe Aaron Rodgers should win the 2020 NFL MVP. When you look at Aaron Rodgers' 2020 season, he had a 70% completion percentage, threw for 4,300 yards, led the entire NFL with 48 touchdown passes. Overall, he had over 50 touchdown passes if you, if you count the rushing touchdowns. And Aaron Rodgers also had a pass rating of 120 of 121 which actually led the NFL his team won 13 games they went 13 and 3 and a lot of people in the offseason had questions about Green Bay's roster a lot of people looked at Green Bay's draft and they looked at their lack of moves in free agency and they and they wondered can Green Bay get back to the playoffs and a lot of people felt Green Bay might take a step back but ultimately I think Green Bay actually improved this year. And a big reason was because of their MVP quarterback in Aaron Rodgers. Look, Aaron Rodgers does have Devontae Adams to throw to, but Aaron Rodgers was able to elevate guys like Alan Lazard, Marquez Valdez-Scanley. I had no idea who Robert Tanyan was until this year. He made Robert Tanyan a household name. He was able to make make uh, Equinemius St. Brown look good. And even when Devontae Adams missed two games due to injury, the Green Bay Packers were undefeated. Aaron Rodgers had an unbelievable season, and despite the Green Bay Packers drafting Jordan Love in the first round of the 2020 NFL Draft, they traded to get Jordan Love, that seemed to make Aaron Rodgers go out there and say, hey, Green Bay Packers organization, screw you, I'm not going anywhere. And to me, Aaron Rodgers individually had a better year than Patrick Mahomes, had a better year than Tom Brady, had a better year than Josh Allen, while having less support around him. I think that I would rather have Buffalo's wide receiver core. I would rather have Tampa Bay's wide receiver core. I'd rather have Kansas City's wide receiver core. I think that Aaron Rodgers really elevated this roster to heights that I did not think they could reach. And I know Aaron Rodgers didn't get done in the playoffs versus Tom Brady in the NFC Championship game, but this is a regular season award. And Aaron Rodgers, he was phenomenal all the way through the regular season. He had one bad game versus Tampa Bay. Outside of that, he was flawless, and to me, this should be the year Aaron Rodgers wins his third NFL MVP. I will be very upset if he doesn't win the NFL MVP this year because I do believe he truly deserves it, and he had an unbelievable year, arguably his best season maybe of all time, and that's saying a lot because Aaron's had two great, unbelievable MVP seasons back in 2011 and 2014, so my MVP vote goes to Aaron Rodgers for all the reasons that I mentioned. My 2020 Comeback Player of the Year award if I were to give a vote for this award, I would vote for Alex Smith. I do like the fact that Ben Roethlisberger came back this year from injury, but I could have foreseen a guy like Ben Roethlisberger actually making a comeback because we recognize when Ben Roethlisberger's healthy, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, you know, and he's a veteran, and most people expected Ben Roethlisberger to come back and look relatively good, and Ben Roethlisberger, to his credit, actually at times looked better than I thought he would look, and he led the Pittsburgh Steelers to the playoffs. 
despite having a lot of talent around him. I'm not trying to knock him for having a lot of talent around him, but the point I'm trying to say is Pittsburgh was a talented team and Ben took advantage of it, you know. But I never thought I would envision Alex Smith leading the Washington football team to the playoffs during the 2020 season with the way he was injured a couple of years ago due to him him having multiple surgeries on his leg. He almost actually died because of infections and whatnot. And the fact that Alex Smith was able to overtake Dwayne Haskins and Kyle Allen and go 5-1 and one on the year with Washington's supporting cast on offense, I think this locks him up for the Comeback Player of the Year award. And I got to say, Alex Smith, heck of a comeback story. And he's done some, he's done some good things in his career, but Alex Smith has been a disappointment as a number one overall pick so far in his career just because Aaron Rodgers should have went number one overall in that draft. But this is a bright moment for Alex Smith. He deserves the 2020 Comeback Player of the Year award, in my opinion, no doubt about it. Offensive Rookie of the Year. I actually thought long and hard about this. I, I really want to give this award to Justin Jefferson, but I can't. Despite the 1,400 yards receiving, despite the 88 catches, despite Justin Jefferson probably already establishing himself as a top 10 wide receiver in the NFL, I can't, I can't not give this award to Justin Herbert. And why do I give the edge to Justin Herbert over Justin Jefferson? When it comes to playing the quarterback position, in order for you to put up great numbers, in order for you to have a lot of success and win ball games, your supporting cast matters, okay? And Justin Herbert was putting up MVP level numbers and winning games in spite of the roster around him. I understand that he had pretty solid wide receivers. You know, Keenan Allen's one of the best wide receivers in all football. Mike Williams when healthy is pretty good. Jalen Guyton sort of came on this year, but the Chargers had every reason to not be a competitive football team this year. They had multiple injuries. Their offensive line was in shambles. And overall, they just weren't a well-coached football team. And they weren't as talented as some of the other teams out there. And no matter what the offensive line looked like, no matter what wide receivers were out there, no matter what plays were being called, Justin Herbert rose above those plays and was able to execute that offense at a high level and really dominate and win games in spite of the Chargers roster. Justin Herbert, to me, just had the greatest rookie season for a quarterback in NFL history. Deshaun Watson, a couple of years ago, when he burst onto the scene as a rookie, he was on pace to have the greatest rookie season ever. But I think Justin Herbert... He gets the title for greatest rookie season of all time. We're talking 4,336 yards, 31 touchdown passes, 10 interceptions, uh, 98 passer rating, a 66% completion percentage. This guy went toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady, gave them a fight, and those two quarterbacks are in the Super Bowl this year. And Justin Herbert went wire-to-wire and throw-for-throw with both those guys. So I got to give it up to Justin Herbert. I did not, uh, I did not expect Justin Herbert to come out looking this good. I, I worried about Justin Herbert based on his film at Oregon. I was saying to myself, mm, I don't know if this is going to work, and it's working so far. So congratulations to Justin Herbert. To me, he deserves the Rookie of the Year award over Justin Jefferson. The thing about Justin Jefferson is he can just go out there and win his one-on-one matchup, okay? I understand Kirk Cousins has to hit the throw, but – 
If you're a dominant wide receiver, you can just go out there and win. Okay, if you're a talented quarterback, we've seen so many times bad rosters cause quarterbacks to go into the tank. Look at, look at Carson Wentz this past year. Carson Wentz's roster was horrible, and as a result, Carson Wentz became a horrible quarterback. So, for those reasons, that is why I'm voting Justin Herbert the Offensive Rookie of the Year for the 2020 season over just, over Justin Jefferson. I'm sorry, you Vikings fans. Look, I tried to come up with ways to give it to Justin Jefferson, but I just can't do it. I really I really put a lot of thought into this, so I don't want people to think that I'm just picking Herbert because he's a quarterback. I hate to be the bad guy and, and not give Justin Jefferson this award because I think that, honestly, if I could give an award to both guys, I would, but got to go with Justin Herbert for all the reasons I mentioned. So, 2020 Defensive Rookie of the Year. My vote goes to Chase Young. There were actually some decent candidates out there. Antoine Winfield and Jeremy Chin had pretty good years, but you look at Chase Young. The guy came out the first three weeks of the season, absolutely burst onto the scene and exploded. And then he kind of cooled off, you know, midway through the season. But in the final six to seven games of the year, Chase Young was flat-out dominant. By rookie standards, okay? And the thing about Chase Young is, when you actually watch him play football, he does so many things that don't show up on the stat sheet. You know, there are multiple interceptions that Washington was able to get because of Chase Young's pressure, because of him getting pressure on the quarterback, forcing the quarterback to throw the ball early. You know, he was constantly demanding double and triple teams. And he's got pretty solid numbers, seven and, a half, seven and a half sacks on the season and 15 games played, along with four, four forced fumbles. And late in the year, Ron Rivera named Chase Young a captain of the Washington football team. So not only was Chase Young dominating on the field, but off the field, he was a great leader. He was a general. He was a captain. Look, when Chase Young was drafted, I said that this guy has the potential to one day maybe challenged to be the next Lawrence Taylor. Now he has, he has a long, and I mean long, and I mean long, and I mean long way to go to reach Lawrence Taylor. But if anyone can maybe come close to being similar to a pass rusher like Lawrence Taylor, it's Chase Young. He's that talented. Washington's defense improved tremendously this past year. They had the number two total defense. They were six as far as points per game allowed. And a big reason why is because of the number two overall pick from the 2020 NFL Draft. His name is Chase Young, and he gets my vote for 2020 Defensive Rookie of the Year. He's going to dominate for a long time, and this is only the beginning for Chase Young. No doubt about it. So up next, I'm going to do Offensive Player of the Year for the 2020 season. So who gets my vote for 2020 Offensive Player of the Year? That award, if I were giving a vote, that goes to Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry became the eighth running back in NFL history this past year to rush for at least 2,000 yards in a single season. And Derrick Henry is such a focal point to the Tennessee Titans offense. He's a force in that offense. He's really, really talented. And for my money, Derrick Henry is the best running back in all football. He may not be as complete as Saquon Barkley. He may not be as complete or as shifty as Christian McCaffrey. But as far as on-field production, as far as, you know, him just getting it done Sunday after Sunday, he's that guy, okay? And 
I think that, that I think that an achievement like that, where Derrick Henry becomes the eighth player in NFL history to rush for two thousand yards, that needs to be appropriately awarded. Now, some people out there were saying Derrick Henry should be the NFL MVP. I disagree, and people point to Adrian Peterson, you know, winning NFL MVP a couple of years ago over Peyton Manning, and I understand it, but Adrian Peterson dragged Christian Ponder to the playoffs, and a Minnesota Vikings team that probably had no business being there, okay? So that's the that's where I draw the line for Tennessee because I do believe if they put a decent running back in that offense, I still think Ryan Tannehill would be able to get them to the playoffs, at least as a wild card team. But I can't take anything away from Derrick Henry. He had three 200-yard games as far as rushing goes, and he was a beast this past year, and I'm a big fan of Derrick Henry, and – to me, Derrick Henry, he deserves the 2020 Offensive Player of the Year. This is kind of his little MVP award because I just can't see a world where he is the NFL MVP over quarterbacks that play so well like Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. My vote for NFL MVP goes to Aaron Rodgers, but Derrick Henry had an unbelievable year, and for that reason, he gets the 2020 Offensive Rookie of the Year, at least in my book. Last but not least, I want to talk about who deserves the 2020 Defensive Player of the Year Award. To me, that award goes to Xavier Howard. Now, this might shock some people. Some people might be voting for T.J. Watt or Aaron Donald. And while T.J. Watt and Aaron Donald, to me, are better overall players compared to a Xavier Howard, they did not have the impact that Xavier Howard had this past year. They did not have the season that Xavier Howard had this past year. Xavier Howard had 10 interceptions and 20 pass breakups this past year. Both led the entire NFL. So once again, 20 pass breakups and 10 interceptions. And every time someone tried to challenge Xavier Howard this year, every time I watched the Dolphins game, that guy was making play after play for that defense. And I think that he should be awarded for having the Defensive Player of the Year award this year because I don't think people realize how valuable it is to have one single individual player actually force 10 turnovers by himself. Say what you want about interceptions being an overhead stat. The bottom line is Xavier Howard was able to take the football away 10 times from the opposing team based on who he was playing. You know, obviously he didn't take it away 10 times in one game, but he he snagged 10 interceptions and really helped aid out his offense. Multiple times, Xavier Howard was getting the ball back for the Miami Dolphins offense. He was helping that offense out, getting good field position. And when he was tested, he broke up a bunch of passes as well. He was flying all over that field. He was by far, to me, the best cornerback this past year. And even if you just look at the numbers, like, on the surface, the 10 interceptions and the pass breakups. If you dive into pro football focus, if you dive into the analytics, and if you actually are interested in, I don't know, maybe actually watching the Dolphins games with your own eyes, you'll know Xavier Howard had a special, special year. So I think Xavier Howard deserves a ton of credit. He, to me, was the best player on the Miami Dolphins defense this past year. The Miami Dolphins defense ranked fourth in the NFL and points per game allowed, and a big reason why is because they had the best defensive player in the 2020 season from an individual season perspective. That guy was Xavier Howard, and for those reasons, Xavier Howard gets my vote for 2020 Defensive Player of the Year. And by the way, Xavier Howard deserves more respect. He's a legitimate 
shutdown corner. He's the number one cornerback, and to me, he's really underrated, and he's arguably turned himself into an elite cover corner. He's really good, and he deserves the 2020 Defensive Player of the Year award for all the reasons that I just said. Well, everyone, that's pretty much all I have today. Thank you so, so much for tuning into this episode today. Have a God-blessed day, everyone. Stay safe, and I'm Ghost. Thank you so much for watching this video today. Please also note that the Juice Alert Sports Podcast is not just a YouTube channel. It is available on all podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts. Also, if you enjoyed this video, be sure to like, comment, subscribe, and share this content with all your friends. This podcast is my favorite thing in the entire world right now. It is my passion. I want more people to listen to this podcast. I really want this podcast to grow. Also, a fun fact about me is that I want to go into the sports broadcasting and media world once I graduate from the University of Toledo, a college in Northern Ohio. I am looking to become one of the next great sports broadcasters and analysts out in the world. And I potentially would like to start my own network if this podcast really truly grows or if I fall short of that goal, I would love to work for a big time network like ESPN or Fox Sports 1. I am open to all networks. So if you believe in my dreams and you see or hear my passion through the screen, be sure to tell all your friends about the Juice Alert Sports Podcast. Stay motivated, you guys. Have a God-blessed day, and I'm out.